John 1, 14 through 18. That's on page 886 in the Bibles in front of you. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me invite you, if you haven't already turned there, to turn to John's Gospel. While you're doing that, I'm going to get a little drink. The song that we sang at the beginning of this service, Glory Be to God, um, the words are by Bob Coughlin, and he is an excellent composer, uh, writer of both uh, lyrics and uh, music. In this particular case, he was actually bridging off of a work by Charles Wesley, uh, which was uh, much longer, and as you might well imagine, written in English that we don't commonly use in our day. Uh, So I appreciate the fact that the truths that Charles Wesley communicated were relayed by Bob Coughlin for our use. There are in the notes that are provided, and if you did not pick up a copy of the notes, feel free to go get a copy. Um, The song lyrics are in there, and so I would encourage you to refer to those as we work through what God has for us this morning. There are a couple of portions of that song that we're going to focus on. There's no way that we can really talk about all of the doctrines in any one of these songs, and so we'll have a focal point. The focal point is in verse 2, where it says that he was emptied of his majesty, he comes in human form, being source begins to be, and God is born. All our griefs he'll gladly share, all our sins he'll fully bear. He will cover our disgrace and suffer in our place. And then in contrast, in verse three, where there is some joyful news, and the joyful news includes this, God has kept his promises. What a work of grace this is. Son of Mary, chosen one, the Lamb of God has come. So before we go any farther, uh, let's bow and ask God to inform our hearts and our minds uh, that we might listen to the Spirit as we uh, go through this text. Father, I pray that you would be glorified. Uh, Let nothing in this service uh, detract or distract us from how great you are, and how amazing your grace is towards us. Not just grace for our sins, but grace for so many other things that we take for granted, that we sometimes overlook. And Father, so I pray that as I uh, speak truth, and Father, help me to speak only truth, um, that you would help 
both me and the listeners better appreciate your goodness, your holiness, your mercy, your tender kindness, your grace. And we thank you because we know you are a God who keeps your promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Violet has read the main passage uh, for this morning, and I want to draw your attention back to that passage again, which begins um, in verse 14, where it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There are three phrases that I want us to uh, zero in on this morning. The first is that this is the only son from the father, and he is full of grace and truth. And that's very significant. And then in verse 16, the second thing is, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. So this is a grace that's much different than sometimes the grace that we experience in this world. And finally, in verse 17, it tells us and reminds us that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that's, that's going to be the focus uh, this morning. Now, in the last four Sundays, Pastor Jeremy has had this series about um, carol uh, theology, caroling theology. What, what is it about each one of these songs that we sing at Christmas time that should help us to better understand God and his goodness and our great need? Uh, the first Sunday, it was God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, and it was a talk about or a reminder of the hope that we have in God. In Romans 15, verse 13, it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So actually all three of the sermons are tied together here. In believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So Christmas tells us of a great hope that we have. Secondly, it talks about peace. And so Pastor Jeremy talked about, Hark the herald angels sing. And in John 16, Jesus said this to his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So our hope is in him. Our peace is in him. And then the third one was joy, joy to the world. In John 15, 11, Jesus says this to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So he is the source of our hope. He is the source of our peace. He is the hope, the source of our joy. And finally, the last song last Sunday, and I was able to, thanks, thankfully because of live stream, I was able to hear the sermons. Um, it was about love. Come all ye faithful, let us adore him. So Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now, when I was a boy, um, believe this or not, um, initially we didn't have a television set. This was back in the dark ages. My grandchildren would wonder, how could you have life without a monitor or a TV or a computer? Well, life actually existed before all of those things. We, we had this wonderful thing called the radio. The radio was amazing. We also had phonograph, 
records, and we would play those records over and over again. Probably drove my mom crazy, but she's the one that bought them for us, so I guess it's on her. One of the uh, things about the, the radio and the phonograph is that it's the gift that keeps on giving. And in fact, Victor Radio ran an advertisement that proclaimed it was the gift that keeps on giving. So you, you receive the gift, and then it wasn't just for that day. You could listen to the radio, you listen to your favorite programs, and you could play phonograph records, and it just kept giving as long as the tubes. Remember the tubes back in the, the ancient days of radio? Uh, those things would burn out. You'd have to replace the tubes. We've come a long way. So I've dated myself. I'm old enough to remember radios with tubes in them. But there are gifts that God gives that keep giving as well. And so that's what we want to think about this morning. Um, one of those gifts is grace. Grace is a gift that keeps on giving. Now, there are two words that we often use that are somewhat interchangeable when it comes to talking about what grace is. One of them is the word grace, and the other one is the word favor. And these can uh, communicate to us why, one of the reasons that God re re deserves the glory. So God gives us favor that we don't deserve freely. That's what grace is. He shows favoritism towards us. I like what Justin Holcomb said, and this is in your notes. Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely. That's me. The peace of God given to the restless. That's me. The unmerited favor of God. Uh, I'm a recipient of that. The unmerited favor of God. Uh, the psalmist said this. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them. Notice he understands that God's favor is connected to God saving them. That I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones. That I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation. That I may glory in your inheritance. Now, I've experienced grace many times in life. And I'm not talking about grace from God, although... Any grace that I've received is actually out, not outside of his sovereignty. When I was stationed on the island of Oahu back in the 1970s, early 1970s, I had a, a nice red 1962 Corvette convertible. It could go very, very fast. Um, and, and I could easily break the speed limit with that car. Um, and it turned marvelously. I mean, it, it, it would corner like no other car I've ever owned. One day I was downtown Honolulu, and it was very late. I think I'd gone down there for a Christian concert. I really don't remember. But I was downtown Honolulu. It was late, and I was leaving downtown Honolulu. Nobody was on the roads anymore. I'm not quite sure why that was. But at least in the direction I was going, there was nobody on the road. And I came to a stoplight. And the stoplight was red. So I stopped, being a law-abiding citizen. And then it stayed red. And it stayed red. And I finally decided, listen, there's no cars around here. This is ridiculous. I want to get back to the base. Guess what I did? I went through the red light. Guess who was just behind me that I hadn't noticed? You want to guess? A police officer. 
in an unmarked Oldsmobile 442. Most of the police officers could buy their own cars. He pulled me over and he said, do you know what you did? I said, yes, sir. I went through a red light. I said, I know it's wrong. I didn't try to make any excuses. Now, they weren't known for giving sailors a pass, okay? If you nailed a sailor, the sailor's going to pay for this. But I received grace. He gave me a warning and said, when you're in my town, in my town of Honolulu, you don't go through red lights. I don't care how long the light is. I don't care how much traffic there is. I received grace. You've probably had similar experiences. But God's grace is way above that grace. Um, And so the main idea this morning that I want us to focus on is this. When we realize our deep disgrace, which is what the song talks about, we will praise God for his glorious grace. Our focus this morning is on our great need and the great grace. The song we sang said this, all our griefs he'll gladly share. Grace is sympathetic. Grace understands. Grace gets it that this person has a great need. And it also says all our sins he'll fully bear. Grace completely solves the problem. There's nothing left uncared for when it comes to the problem. There's no partial or temporary solution. And it says he will cover our disgrace. Grace removes the guilt. It covers our disgrace. Um, No one really wants to be disgraced. Nobody wants to be humiliated. People want to be uh, respected and liked. And the only way that God can show us favor is because of his son, the grace that he provides. And it says in this song, he will suffer in our place. This is amazing grace. Grace dies for the one who is loved. Now, in this song, it says God has kept his promises. And what I find most interesting is if we look at each one of the Gospels, they all introduce Jesus just a little bit differently. In Matthew, uh, Matthew says this in the very first verse. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God had promised Abraham. God had promised David. God has kept his promise in sending a son that was promised to Abraham and a son that was promised to David. It's the same person. It's Jesus, the Christ. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark introduces his readers not to the birth, but this is the Son of God. And in the song, it says, God invisible appears endless ages wrapped in years. In other words, the Son of God is visible. He is someone made a flesh like you and me. Perfect man, perfect God. In Luke, Luke, who starts off his gospel by saying, I've done a lot of thorough research. I wanted to make sure that what I wrote was accurate and true. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high 
and the Lord God will give him, to, give him the throne of his father David, promise kept, and he will, rule over, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, promise kept, and of his kingdom there will be no end, promise being kept. And then in verse 35, of course, Mary is not sure how this is all going to be even possible. The angel says this, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And then finally, in John chapter 1, John doesn't start with the birth. He starts with the beginning of everything. Before there was anything that we can see, touch, taste, smell, handle. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Endless ages wrapped in years. So Bob Coughlin captures a number of different important truths for us, one of which is, this is God himself who has come. He has been born of a virgin. And Just so that there's no doubt about who this word is, this is not the last time that John talks about the word. If you were to look at Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 14, and that reference is in your notes, this is what John says he saw in heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven. Okay, he is at the right hand of the Father. And this is what John says. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, not a a donkey, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him, on white horses. When he returns, he will come as the true king of kings, and no one will be able to stand uh, in uh, in their own defense apart from him. So as I said earlier, we want to look at two things this this morning, uh, and this is going to be a, um, a focus on, first of all, our disgrace. We are a disgrace. And when you are a disgrace, it impacts your family, it impacts your parents. If you are in business, it has an impact on the business. Um, It has an impact in your school if you're a student. It has an impact on your church. Um, Disgrace that happens within the church affects the entire church, has impact on the entire church. So we are a disgrace, and we're going to unpack that this morning. And then the second thing we're going to look at is that his grace is our only hope. And, and I hope you see how, uh, how this flower opens and there are multiple pieces to this, not just one piece to the grace that God has offered. Uh, first of all, we are a disgrace. Uh, we have a high opinion of ourselves, uh, but it's based on wrongful thinking. Uh, that's known as pride. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had that problem. King Saul had that problem. Saul of Tarsus had that problem. 
The Pharisees had that problem. The rich young ruler had that problem. The high priest during Jesus' days had that problem. Do you remember Muhammad Ali, the boxer? What, what did he always say? I am the greatest. That reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar, quite frankly. I'm the greatest. See what I've done? How wonderful I am? Um, the, the, this goes on. Um, parents have a high opinion of themselves. They look at other parents and say, well, if that, if that father only managed his family like I manage mine, uh, that's wrongful thinking. That's proud thinking. Successful business people have that problem. Uh, football teams have that problem. Uh, you see it oftentimes on the, the game floor, on the field. So the, the biggest problem is that we have a wrong basis for comparison. I've got a picture of worms up here. Um, Isaac Watts uh, said something that many people find offensive, and in fact, in some hymnals, the word has been changed from worms to something else. And I find that offensive because Isaac Watts was actually looking at scripture when he wrote the song that he wrote, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? We are a disgrace. I am a disgrace, apart from the finished work of Christ. Isaiah 41:14 says this, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. In other words, you're a worm. You can't do anything apart from me. You're, you're the basest of creatures. Psalm 22, 6. I don't know if you're familiar with the Psalms or not, but Psalm 22, 23, and 24 often should be just read together because they are very clear messianic Psalms. And Psalm 22 talks about our suffering Savior. Psalm 23 talks about our good shepherd Savior. And Psalm 24 talks about our sovereign God, Savior. But here's what it says in Psalm 22:6, And let this sink in. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Now this is the Savior speaking. He says, I am a worm and not a man. He's identifying with us. He's saying, I understand the desperate strait you are in, the desperate condition you are in, and I'm willing to become what you are, perfect, though, and die in your place. So, number one, we have an overly high opinion of ourselves. Number two, because we are shameful, God does not receive the glory. Um, we are to be reflecting his glory. We are to be in imaging him. Instead, we try to make ourselves the object of glory. Um, and and I, I mentioned earlier Nebuchadnezzar. Here's, here's what Nebuchadnezzar said. Most of you are familiar with this in Daniel chapter 4. The, the king answered and said, this is Nebuchadnezzar, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. So he's got uh, a focus on his own glory, nobody else's glory, certainly not God's glory. And then God says that until you know that the Most High rules 
the kingdom of men and gives all to who he will, you're going to be like a, a cow. You're going to be like somebody that's out in the field grazing. And that's exactly what happened to him. People think they're self-made. I'm whom I am be- and I'm, I'm successful because I did it. That is taking the glory from the one who provided every good gift, every good thing that I have. There, there's really nothing that I have that I can claim, well, this was all of Wayne. No, it's all of God. Whatever, whatever good there is, is all of God. Uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, I often think of these verses when it comes to where the glory should be. It says this, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I do delight, declares the Lord. We are a disgrace. We take the glory that's not ours. We refuse to give the glory to the one whom glory is due. Um, but let's examine the extent of our disgrace. Lest we say, well, my disgrace is not as bad as the disgrace of others. Um, if we turn back to Exodus chapter 20, I think it's about page 61 in the, in the Pew Bible. That's a very familiar passage. That's the Ten Commandments. And if you look at this... Um, you'll learn about the extent of our disgrace. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 7, God makes it clear there will be no other gods, and you're not to make for yourself any other gods. You're not to bow down to them, to serve them. Um, And you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So these are all things we refuse to do. In our natural selves, we refuse to make God the only God. We want something else. We're not satisfied with God. We're not satisfied that he is to be the object of our love. But it gets worse. In verses 8 through 12, it talks about remembering the Sabbath day. Do all your work on six days. Rest on the seventh day. And then it says something that applies to all of us, not just to the children or the teens. This applies to everybody. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So these are the things we're supposed to do towards others and in community that we don't do. So we refuse to do the things that have to do with loving God and bringing him honor, and we don't do what we should do. We don't honor our parents. How do I know that? Well, when I was a boy, my parents had rules. I didn't obey them all. I chose the rules that I wanted to obey, and I hoped I didn't get caught. That's not honoring a parent. Or to speak ill of a parent. I don't care how good or maybe bad a parent is. Uh, God has given us our parents for a purpose. Uh, We don't always understand that, but we are to honor them. And then the the rest of them, clearly, you know, we would read that list and we'd say, well, I haven't done that first one 
you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. More of us probably fall into that. You shall not bear false witness against you. Okay, so here are all the things that we do that we should not do. And lest we think that we're not murderers, then we haven't read the Gospels. Because Jesus makes it very clear that there is a very high standard in his view of how you murder. And it has to do with even harsh words to a brother. So you see, our situation is just awful. We are a disgrace. And that's what the song tells us. We are in deep disgrace. But there is good news. And the song tells us what the good news is. If we go back to the song, it says God has kept his promises. What a work of grace this is. So I want to unpack that. There are some aspects of this as I was studying it that I thought, oh, that's, that's really helpful for me to remember. So my goal is, you know, I don't think we're going to read any passage of scripture you've never heard before, but I want you to hear the word grace and how it fits into our lives. Okay? So... His grace is our only hope. What a work of grace this is. And it is grace upon grace. So if we're back at our text in John chapter 1, in verses 16 and 17, it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It's like if you have cake and you have icing on it, and then you put more icing on it, and you put more icing on it. Some people would like that. I would find that disgusting, but you see, it's, it, it can be added to. You can, you, can build, you can make it sweeter and sweeter to the point of probably disgusting uh, in, from a human perspective. But grace is grace upon grace. It's sweeter and sweeter, never disgusting. Always wonderful. Um, it is from his fullness because he is full of grace and truth. John tells us he is full of grace, and so we can be offered grace upon grace because he is full of it. He has more than sufficient grace to parcel out, to, to measure out to us. And notice that this is better than the law. The law requires do this and you will live. Jesus says, believe, come to me, trust, receive the grace that I offer. In John 3, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus said in John 6:47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. So this is grace that is sufficient to take care of all sin and provide eternal life. Take us from death to life, from everlasting death to everlasting life. And even though we were born sinners, we were chosen by him. No sinner deserves grace. Lest we come to the thinking that, oh, well, I'm not so bad, so it's easier for God to love me. Uh, let's, let's forget that thought. That thought is totally and tragically wrong. I offer for you um, Noah. We look at Noah and we think, Noah was a pretty good guy. He lived in a place where there wasn't much water. 
God said, I want you to build a boat. It's going to take you a long time, many years, to build this boat. Everybody's going to poke fun at you because you're building a boat in the wrong place. And you don't know what you're doing. You're a crazy man, Noah. So we think highly of Noah. We think, Noah, you're a good guy. You listened to God and you did what he did even though it sounded crazy. But notice what it says in Genesis 6, 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't so much that Noah was wonderful and great, although we can look back on him and see him as a great man of faith. It was because God showed favor on him that he could be a man of faith. And note that this is for all. This is not just for some. There is no other source for anyone, from anyone, as a solution for sin apart from grace. Um, For we, in, in John it says, for from his fullness we have all received. This is for everybody. This is for no one excluded. You don't have to say, well, there's not enough grace for me. No, it's for all. Whoever believes, whoever comes, Jesus says, I will rescue, I will save. My grace is sufficient. And notice that it's through him. That grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is through him. The grace of the Father is displayed in the life and death of his Son. Jesus said, I am the way. Don't miss the last part of John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what John said earlier. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So it's it's very clear. The scriptures shout it, that grace is only through Christ. Now, I like what, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to share something about Simon Peter during the communion portion of our service. Um, But I like what, what Simon Peter said. When Jesus noticed that other disciples were leaving him, um, and he asked Simon Peter and the other disciples, are you going to leave me too? Are, are, Are you done? Have you had enough? And this is what Simon Peter answered. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so his hope for grace, his hope for forgiveness, his hope for a future, his hope for eternal life, he he clearly states it. You're it, Jesus. You're the only one that I can go to, the only one I can come to. Notice not only does our hope rests on his grace. He covers our disgrace fully. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So the supply is sufficient for all my past sins. The supply of grace is available and sufficient for all of today's sins. The supply of grace is sufficient and unending and full for all of my future sins. It is a pipeline of grace. It's a river of grace. It's a fullness of grace. It's grace upon grace. 
In fact, the payment has been made, and Jesus said it is finished. The work of grace was done. Now, there are aspects of grace, actually, that aren't done, but this most important aspect that allows us to have a relationship with the Father is finished. And we need to remember that every blessing that we have flows from this grace. Every blessing. There is no blessing apart from the blessing that Christ provides for us, that the Father provides for us. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. This is settled. We are justified fully by Christ. We have forgiveness fully by Christ. But then there's one aspect of grace that sometimes I think we miss. And so I, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, I wanted us to reflect on this for a few minutes this morning and see this other piece of grace that's for the present that we sometimes miss. And here's what it is. It's more than just grace for sinners. I needed grace before I became a believer, a follower of Jesus, someone who trusted in Christ. I needed grace. But I still need grace, not just for sin, but for life. It's very living and serving and giving. So one of the ways that we show grace is by being impartial. That's why in the New Testament, there are harsh words for those who are wealthy, who take places of prominence and ignore people who are of lower social status. You see, Jesus is very impartial. He doesn't care about your status. In fact, if you look at his disciples, it's obvious that he didn't care about status of this world's perspective because he chose the foolish of this world to be his disciples. Jesus wants us to understand his grace is more than just for our sin. So grace makes it possible for us to stop habitually sinning. Romans 6.14 says this, For sin shall no longer have dominion over, over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. If I really understood that, or remembered it, or just really grabbed hold of it every morning, that I'm not under law, I'm under grace, that would change my view of sin. Uh, sin would not be appealing because I understand grace so richly and fully and deeply. And notice that the supply of grace is sufficient for all of life. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So grace is more than sufficient for you to do all the good things that God wants you to do. More than sufficient. He doesn't give you insufficient grace to do the work that he's called you to do. He's given you more than sufficient grace, grace upon grace. Second Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh, and he appealed to God multiple times, God, please take this from me. Take this from me. I, I'll, I'll, do, I'll serve you better. I, I don't know exactly what Paul's prayers were, but I can imagine him saying, Lord, you know, this is kind of a hindrance. I can't do the things I want to do for you, for your name, for your glory. 
And here's what Jesus said to him. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you ever feel weak and inadequate? Do you ever feel insufficient? Do you ever feel like some of the the physical ailments or the problems that you have just make it impossible to really serve? God says, it's not your power. It's not your brilliance. It's not your wisdom. It's not your wealth. It's my grace. My grace is sufficient. Rest on my grace. Know that I'm, I'm watching over you. I know what you need. I know the grace that you need for each moment. Uh, rest in that. Grace also equips us. Romans 12, verses 5 through 8 says this. So we, though, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given us. In other words, my gifts and your gifts are different. That's by design. That's God's grace. Because if all of us were like me, this church would be messy. We need each other. We need to encourage one another. In fact, it goes on to say, let us use these gifts then if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, God has given you a gift by his grace that he wants you to use. And it's not for your benefit. It's for the people sitting around you. And so if you're not using that gift, you're actually saying, I don't care much for God's grace. I don't appreciate God's grace and the grace he's given me. And that doesn't certainly bring him honor, bring him glory. Grace also informs our living. Um, And that's also in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Uh, Peter says this to his listeners. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he goes on to talk about some of those gifts. But hear the last part of this. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's why I like this song. Because this song says, glory be to God. I was a disgrace. But his work of grace was more than sufficient. It covered my sins, past, present, and future. It equips me so that I can serve. It's sufficient during trials, during trouble, during difficulties. His grace is sufficient. He is a wise and loving father. And so let me remind you, and you, most of you know this or have heard it before, it's important to live in community. To live in isolation is actually ignoring part of the grace that God has given us. Uh, that's, that's, we, we're supposed to be encouraging one another, helping one another, serving one another, contributing 
for the, the welfare of this body. What a work of grace this is. But it doesn't end. Okay, so we get to heaven and grace is done. No, no, it doesn't. The future is revealed. What a work of grace is this. It awaits us. In 1 Peter 1.13, this is what Peter says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter has seen Jesus, and he's saying he's coming again, and there's great grace coming when he comes. Set your hope on that. That's grace worth grabbing hold of, future grace. Ephesians, uh, no, 1 Peter 5, 10 says this, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In other words, his grace is going to take everything that's messed up about our world and your life and your body and your mind and your soul and your spirit, and it's going to be restored, confirmed, established, strengthened. His grace. That's something to look forward to. It's, it's working now but it's going to be fulfilled when he returns. And then finally in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, it says this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And, and sometimes we stop there. That's a mistake to stop there. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, so listen to this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's really good news. We've got grace for past. We've got grace for the present. We've got immeasurable, amazing grace forever. Because our God is a God of grace. And so it shouldn't be terribly surprising to us that this grace is just going to amaze us. We will worship a God, and we should worship a God today, who has amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved us. We needed that kind of savior. So, um, we started off by saying we need to understand our deep disgrace. That's what the song tells us, that, that the song is true. Um, and we are in deep disgrace, but we need to praise God for his glorious grace. So, let me encourage you to be encouraged. And there are three, no, there are four things that I put in my outline notes to help us apply this truth uh, to our lives. Have you received the grace that's been offered to you? Uh, let me encourage you to talk about the grace you've received at lunch. Um, and perhaps with some unbelievers. Share the grace that you've received. Help them to understand why you are the way you are. Because you are a person who has received grace. And then ask yourself, how is today's grace impacting your life and service? You see, 
Every gift you have as a believer is a gift of grace. And it's not appropriate to misuse the gift or not use the gift at all. It's not, just not appropriate. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Remember the radio? It just keeps getting used. The grace that you have for service is a grace that should be continually being used. So then the question is, do you know what your spiritual gift is that God has given you? It really amazes me and saddens me when I ask some people, so what is your spiritual gift? They get this really nervous, um, not quite sure what it is, and then they say, well, um, I'm good at gardening. Well, that, that's, that's a blessing to be good at gardening. You know, that's not a, a spiritual gift. That's something anybody, a believer or unbeliever, can do that, be a good gardener. So I, let me encourage you that if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, uh, talk to one of the elders. Well, we can help you with that. We can help you explore that. And then finally, this is the last Sunday of 2023, right? So I don't, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. However, let me challenge you with this. What are your goals for 2024? considering God's grace and Jesus' soon return. That's important. Let's pray. Father, what wondrous grace you have offered to us uh, that people who are a disgrace can be fully forgiven, offered grace, and have the disgrace completely removed by the finished work of Christ. Father, now as we come to the table, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to approach it with a, a deeper appreciation of grace. Your grace is marvelous. It's amazing. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.